Welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely or where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne and with me, as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, welcome. Hey there, Dwayne. So, just to uh, just to start, you sound like you are still recovering. So, yeah, hopefully you'll be feeling in- better here. There you go. So, even even with Dwayne still uh, struggling through, we are dealing with this week Marvel's Phase Three slate of films, getting started on them, and this one actually starts out with a bang because the entire MCU, at least as we know it at this point, comes together for an action-packed movie. It also packs some significant story punch. What we're talking about, of course, is Captain America: Civil War. Yes, this is a this is a a really really good movie, and I was definitely excited to see some comic books that kind of helped shape that movie. And uh, yeah, this week's books did not disappoint. But before we dive in and talk about what's in the stack this week. We have some news uh, to get through first, and it is not just comic book news, but it's it's a larger story in general. And it's that over the weekend, Jonathan Majors was arrested. Uh, Jonathan Majors, the actor who plays Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man Quantumania. Um, there's a lot of this is still developing. There is a lot of conflicting informations. Uh, he was arrested and was being charged with um, assaults and, and some different things. Um, it is, there, there's, this is, a, this, is a, this is an important and a big story, and it's not just, um, this, this isn't the first time, unfortunately, when it comes to, to movies and actors and things like this. Yeah, it's disappointing, obviously, you know. Yeah. For, for those of us who are following along with the MCU, Worse than that, though, I mean, from a real-life standpoint, obviously there's a woman who's uh, looks like was in the hospital, at least for a while, because of some injuries suffered. There's also all sorts of conflicting information, uh, because it, it looks it looks at this point like Majors has a, a lawyer who said that uh, he's completely innocent, that the woman has already recanted her story, etc., but uh, he was arrested and it looks like the U.S. Army has already broken their ties off with majors. So there's some some folks who've already uh, decided to start moving on from him. This puts Marvel in a very tough spot, obviously, because they literally have an entire phase of films that are supposed to be centered around Kang as a villain. Some folks have been noting this is kind of the second time this has happened because Josh Brolin also had some abuse sorts of uh, allegations against him back in in the day. It doesn't seem that there was in any way as much of a sort of an uproar about Brolin and the things that were going on there as there are now. But that really does just seem to be there's less tolerance for this sort of behavior in Hollywood at this point. And so I, I think that's a good thing. And so I'm hoping obviously they get this sorted out the right way but I would not be surprised if 
uh, if Marvel's going to have some tough decisions to make as far as what they're going to do going forward. Yeah. Rotten way to start a podcast, man. We're going to move ahead. We're going to talk about what's new in Marvel Unlimited this week. The book's coming out for March 26th through April 1st. We've got a bunch of different titles again this week. X-Men, Annual Number 1, a couple number ones for Dark Web. We've got Sabretooth and the Exiles, Namor the Submariner. A couple, uh, we have a Black Panther and a Wakanda book starring Killmonger, as well as a Jed McKay book, Strange Number 9, but... You wanted to talk specifically about the Spider-Man book here, The Lost Hunt. Yeah, this is kind of interesting for longtime fans of Spider-Man. Back in the 80s, I think it was 1987 actually, it was kind of the height of my collecting frenzy before I took off for college. Um, there was a story, I think it was a five or six part story, that happened across a number of Spider-Man titles called Craven's Last Hunt. Yeah, It was by J.M. DeMattius and Mike Zeck. Zeck's actually just a great artist. He did a lot of tremendous stuff back in the 80s. Famous probably primarily for his Captain America run and then also the Punisher series he did, which was kind of the first time that the Punisher really got a lead, uh, lead role in a comic and started the path to making him famous. But... Craven's Last Hunt was a really interesting story. And this is sort of a play on this now called Spider-Man The Last Hunt. It's five-issue miniseries, focuses on Craven and sort of his history and, and some of his origin stuff. So I'm interested by this one. Looking forward to it. And the author's the same, right? You, you yep. had listed Yeah, that's here. actually uh, Demadius is, is returning. The artists and the like are different. But uh, nonetheless, it, it is a true sort of follow-up to the earlier story because the same guy's writing it. The uh, cover of this is really cool. You have a, this like uh, human skull that's mounted like a, like a deer or some, some sort of uh, trophy. Uh, but like you have part of the Spider-Man mask covering it as well. So there is a lot of... Yep. Uh, very, very interesting look to it. Dan, do you have a recommendation for us for this week? Sure. So this, actually, I've been reading a book for the last probably, well, I guess three, four months now. Issue three or four just came out recently that I have been really enjoying. It's, it's sort of a high concept science fiction adventure. Uh, it's called Traveling to Mars. It's by Mark Russell and Roberto Mealy. Mealy is an Italian artist who does some really, really cool uh, work. And Mark Russell has written all sorts of crazy and, and really interesting books. He does a lot of things that really make you think. And in fact, has, believe it or not, done stuff with some of the Hanna-Barbera characters that is some of the more interesting and thought-provoking comic books of the last decade. So his Flintstones and his Snagglepuss are both like classics really? of the last decade. But he does a lot of stuff that's got a lot of sort of satire and really kind of explores some deep and dark themes about American society and culture and, and things like that. And this one's sort of similar to that. What you actually have is a story about this terminally ill man who is hired by the Easy Beef Corporation 
to go on a one-way mission to Mars to be the first human being to get to Mars so that he can then essentially claim it for the corporation. And they give him sort of these various promises and things that they're going to like, you know, give his family money and whatever, and he gets sent off on this one-way trip. And I don't know about anybody else, but I do not trust the Easy Beef Corporation. I believe there's something <laughs> going on there. And I'm going to be interested to see how this goes. So, that really good sounds stuff. sounds... Really, really interesting stuff. This is this is something I might have to look into. This sounds pretty interesting. All right, and with that, let's dive into the books that we had this week. What was in the stack for this week, Dan? We are all about Civil War this week, Duane. It is Civil War proper, the actual seven-issue miniseries um, from back in 2006 and 2007. Uh, so that's Civil War 1 through 7. And then, out of about 100 sort of tie-in titles, I decided to just send you into Civil War Frontline. And I think, hopefully, you read as far through it as you could. I had not read the Frontline series before. Did not realize just how dense these books were. So, yes, there was we're, a lot there. We're we're gonna we're gonna talk about it in great detail because that that was some of the most interesting books I think I've read in quite some time. But Civil War the books themselves were 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 actually quite quite good in their own right. So, um, so why why did you pick Frontline in particular? Because you said there was so many tie-in books that you could have gone to. I think the main thing is that I had I had read a couple of them, but I didn't remember it too well. But I liked the idea that it had sort of that person-on-the-street viewpoint on what was going on. And kind of like, um, actually we had a, a conversation on Twitter this week talking a little bit about Marvel's by Alex Ross. And I think this book has kind of that same thing. It's about normal people sort of trying to live their lives and figure out what's going on in amongst the craziness that is these superhero conflicts going on around their cities. Yeah. But so yeah, Civil War 1 through 7 is is essentially the framework of the Civil War movie, right? It's got the basic yeah. Captain America versus Iron Man with similar themes and motives. And then Frontline takes kind of this, this perspective of journalists and sort of other smaller characters moving through this. And I think, I think it actually worked out well in terms of providing a kind of some balance on it. I also do have to apologize a little bit. I'd forgotten just how hard it was to follow Civil War if you didn't read the tie-ins. Because... You yeah. might have noticed you'd get from the end of one book to another, and there's some massive things that have just Gaping happened. Holes. Gaping holes. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, I guess we're here now, and this has happened. And you just kind of had to move on. And without reading all of them, there's very little you can do about that, actually. So, because this was a, a universe-spanning sort of thing. And, and, like, I will say this. It feels universe, uh, like complete universe encapsulating when you're reading both 
the Civil War books and the Frontline books. It, it feels all-encompassing, all-enveloping. It's like you can't look anywhere without seeing the effects of what's going on and, and how it is changing, uh, you know, pitting people against each other and and, uh, and and all that that comes as a result of it. So. Yeah. So how do we want to how do we want to tackle this? Do we want to start with the main Civil War um, books first, and then? Yeah, go I think in? so. Okay, because they don't even really correspond in terms of a one to one in terms of what's happening necessarily. Right. Because like, there's the Speedball storyline that just rolls through the whole thing, and like, I think it's better to just go through Civil War, and then kind of go back through and take a look at frontline and how it talked about some of those things as they were going on and the like. So okay. I think we, uh, maybe, maybe take about the first half and then talk about it a little bit. You, right. you ready, you ready to go on that? Yeah. Let's, let's look at civil war, the proper, uh, books that made up, uh, the main, yeah. the main story. So basically civil war begins with one massive inciting incident. What's going to happen is that there's a group called the New Warriors, who are a, a long-existing supergroup in Marvel that had been sort of updated in the last few years. And when they attempt to capture a group of powerful supercriminals who are hiding out in a residential part of a, a smaller town, for a reality TV show where they're actually filming what they're doing, the results are very, very bad. What happens essentially is they get one of the criminals cornered. He explodes in a massive sort of explosion that destroys a school in the local town and also kills over 600 people, many of them children. At that point, the American government starts to be pressured very heavily to rein in the unlicensed, unsupervised vigilantes of the Marvel superhero community. And the heroes end up fracturing into two camps, with Reed Richards, Hank Pym, and Tony Stark leading the forces of registration, Captain America gathering up his allies and resisting the new law. Spider-Man ends up unmasking himself, letting the world know that he's Peter Parker uh, in an effort to try and support registration. Doctor Strange ends up going off on a retreat because he decides that he simply has too much power and could influence things and he needs to let it happen the way it's going to happen, so he just takes himself out entirely. The X-Men refuse to really get drawn into this uh, or to help to hunt down those who've refused to yield. Emma Frost makes a very strong point about the fact that, you know, mutants are used enough to people hunting them down. They really don't necessarily want to get involved in helping somebody else do that. Uh, and they don't right. necessarily want to register as superheroes either. So they just kind of stayed out of the scrum entirely. This gets to be quite a mess. Stark actually eventually tricks Cap's team into responding, or no, tricks his team into responding to a trap. And Thor actually comes into the, the battle right at the end, Sort of makes his side known by immediately coming in on Iron Man's side, taking down Cap and his allies, and actually killing Goliath in the process. At which point, Sue Storm arrives just in time to prevent everyone else from dying by putting a big bubble around them and letting them teleport away. Uh, and 
at the end of probably book four, somewhere in the middle, she actually, along with her brother, leave Reed Richards, and the Fantastic Four also splinters down the middle due to this yeah. conflict. So, what do you think? This was... So, I will say, I don't remember the movie very well, and that's, I'm really looking forward to reading it, rewatching it again next week, but this was... This was like just amazing to kind of just jump in and it hit you like a ton of bricks right away. The whole wasn't sure what was going on. I'm not I'm not familiar with the new warriors. You see them with these like reality TV show cameramen people behind them and they're talking about going in and how this is going to be the best season finale they've ever had. And Mm -hmm. they end up. Yeah, this this uh, villain named Nitro ends up blowing himself up rather than being caught by Speedball, and and it takes out a school and a whole bunch of people, and 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 that was that was the start of all this, and it, and it is amazing just what this ends up leading to it as it as it goes from here. It, it seems. <laughs> It almost seems realistic, to be perfectly honest with you. It's like I could see something stupid, uh, stupid slash dangerous happening as a result of a reality TV show that ends up being just this huge political issue that ends up becoming this like force that ends up dividing everyone. And really, I think that when you look at the way comic book heroes are portrayed the vigilante sort of structure that they exist within. It's hard to believe in actual fact that the people of the Marvel Universe had sort of put up with all of this for as long as they had, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Because you'd had things like Damage Control, which is this organization that goes around trying to clean up New York after these constant battles of giants destroying apartment buildings and knocking down skyscrapers and everything like that. It all makes perfect sense how some of this would work. But it also lends you to wonder, how do they go back after this, you know? So, I mean, do you really want to take this cat out of the bag? Because this is sort of the unspoken question nobody really asks is, how do these guys keep getting away with this? And, you know, people, people let them. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of social commentary packed into the start of this. Not only about the vigilante stuff, but about sort of the police state and fascism, about sort of reality TV and some of the the dangerous, stupid things people do to try and become famous in America. There's a whole lot of content in this if you start breaking it down. And it's, yeah. it's all sort of thrown into this pot where people are punching each other every couple of pages. But really, there's a there's a lot going on in here that I think, as you go through and look at it, makes it makes it some pretty decent stories to think about as well. Yeah, the you know the the scene and and some of them are like some of the dialogue and some of the discussions are really thought provoking and like or situations like. Tony Stark getting getting approached by a woman whose child was killed in the explosion. And he's like, you should have done more. You know, this is your fault. And and it's like, 
and this is before he's basically come to the side of being on mm-hmm. the on the side of the registration act and it you know he knowing his character knowing that he's you know had all these situations that occurred where bad things have happened and like he, that that's not necessarily the goal but that's what mm-hmm. ends up happening as a result of you know his tech and and like what his company was doing and different things like this it it's i i thought this this seems like almost too big a story to tell but at the same time this seems like a great story to tell and i and, I, and i'm i'm really impressed with the way this story started out so the other question is what side did the story tell you to be on I felt like the side told me to be on the registration sign, or at least that's the side that I felt. Okay. It, it, it is. I had is a tough time. The... I don't know. And that's the, probably the best thing I can say about the story in some ways is I think that especially early on, there's a very strong indication that both sides have good arguments and both sides have yes. terrible arguments, right? Yeah. That yeah. essentially you can you can very easily see why either of them has the has the stance they have. And you can also see where both sides go too far. Now, there is a simple formula at work here, and that is that Hank Pym is on one side of this and Captain America <laughs> is on the other. Right. Right. Which should give us that, a pretty good idea of where yeah. morally we we would be expected to be. But I think that the there are aspects that come in obviously that that murky those waters. I am I think initially I would have been more on the side of the rebels, the anti-registration forces. But as you get towards the end, it becomes clearer and clearer to see that there are real problems, you know. So, so other than that, um, Shield, Shield is not is Shield the good guy or the bad guy here? Uh, Shield does not seem like the good guy in all this, and specifically, Maria Hill does not seem like she is uh, no somebody that you really want to be around. I think that in any case, regardless which side you're on, Iron Man's or Captain America's, Maria Hill Hill and S.H.I.E.L.D. become sort of this symbol of kind of like a, a, a police state that is really taking things probably farther than they need to. They're being yeah. just unnecessarily violent and antagonistic towards pretty much everybody including yeah. Captain America from the very beginning. How about Sue Storm? Do you, uh, she she is pretty important near the, the beginning there. She saves everybody. This is not a character to be trifled with, and she's also always really important in terms of some of her decisions and the way she goes tend to be key for the Marvel Universe. So... It, uh, yeah, I have not read really any Fantastic Four comics to this point, so I don't have a lot of um, 
Well, I haven't seen her in action very much, but I, I totally understand where she's coming from in this. And it makes total sense that, that she and, and the human torch end up leaving, uh, Reed Richards because she just doesn't believe him. And there's a, there's a, one of the books has like these letters back and forth between Sue leaving and then, and then Reed, um, replying and it, they're, they're really something to read and, and, you know, are very, very, do a very good job of articulating where the, where the character is coming from. Yeah, I think I, I agree. And, and actually this is one of the more difficult portrayals of Reed Richards that you'll ever see, because in this, he is 100% this sort of excited stats geek who has decided that he's got a formula that shows that if they do this thing, it's going to reduce crime. And so he's like, yeah, doesn't matter how many of my friends I put in prison, I'm going to do this thing. And what it all bunch the amounts to is this big fight. And Iron Man has kept a piece of hair from Thor for ages. He's cloned Thor. Thor's gone at this time. And they've got almost like this cyborg Thor that they're using that yeah. manages to actually murder Goliath during the fight. Just punches a hole right in the middle of him. Essentially kind of ending the fight and causing Invisible Woman to come in and, and let everyone else get spirited away. But this again... You know, when will Tony Stark learn it's, if it's not Ultron and the like that these guys are working? Because it was Hank Pym and Tony Stark that made the crazy Hulk clone or uh, the crazy Thor clone. So, yeah, those two. And, 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 and there's like, there's more too, because they're like, it is like the ultimate goal that they're going to have some of these like superhero clones, yep. like in every state. Yep, they're growing all sorts of them at that point. Exactly. It is. So. And and yes, it malfunctioned and Goliath is killed and they they're going to go back to the drawing board and make sure that doesn't happen again, but you know. Yeah. The damage being kind of already already done at that point. Yep. So that takes us kind of the second half of the series. Uh facing declining support from among the heroes of the Marvel universe, Tony's team then turns to the villains for help. Uh they end up sending Bullseye and the Thunderbolts out and having them try to bring in Captain America. Uh, Spider-Man actually defects after the death of Goliath, and he is also pursued by the Thunderbolts and nearly killed before being saved by the Punisher. Daredevil, Cloak and Dagger, and others are actually captured at various times and they're held at this secret prison in the Negative Zone, which is this massive facility that they're using. It leads Cap and the Rebels to plan a prison break, um, the teams actually end up meeting up at a Rikers prison sort of portal that allows entry into the negative zone where they were going to sneak through. Once they're all together, some spies on each side are revealed. A massive fight begins that eventually spills out into the streets of New York City. It first actually goes into the negative zone for quite a long time, but you didn't read yeah. all of the other books that month. So hopefully you <laughs> kind of just zoomed over that. But they fight there. Yeah. They all get thrown back out into New York. Massive destruction ensues. And eventually Captain America 
in the middle of, of sort of fighting and even starting to get the upper hand, is tackled and brought down just by average citizens who are like, you've just got to stop this because you're destroying our city. And they make him see that his war is actually not being won the way he thinks it is because they're losing the argument about whether superheroes should be trusted even as they're maybe winning the actual physical uh, confrontation. So Cap surrenders, he's arrested, and the 50-state initiative then kicks off sort of this new age for superheroes in the Marvel Universe. And that's going to be ongoing in the next year or so of, of the Marvel Universe. So that's the end of it. Cap, yeah. Cap surrendering himself, making it very clear it is Steve Rogers who's actually being arrested, not Captain America, but nonetheless. Yeah. No, this was a a very, very well done kind of culmination and, and definitely leaves you thinking about, you know, maybe where you were at from the start. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely feel like I've kind of change sides a little bit as as this as this story went on it was it was really 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 interesting yeah, and i i think that's really the sign of of a well-written story is that i don't believe it specifically tells you one way or another how to feel but it does sort of at least support the idea that there is something dangerous about all sides of having superheroes wandering around, whether they are a force of the government or they are a bunch of just sort of unregulated yahoos running around with masks. Neither of them right. is a perfect solution, right? Uh -huh. I thought that the ending of this was done really well. I like that it brings kind of those core ideas of freedom and responsibility into conflict. And then also shows that sometimes the responsible thing to do is to give up some of your freedom, right? That yeah. there was a lot going on with this. And, and it's also interesting that, you know, this sets up a lot of the base arguments that are going to be dealt with in the movie next week as well. With the difference being that instead of this small town being blown up by the new warriors it's going to be the Sokovia Accords and sort of the whole city being lifted into the air by Ultron, right? So you have a different instigating event, but really the same sort of fallout from it in terms of what society demands from the heroes. So, right. yeah. And, and again, at the end, Sue Storm shows she's not someone to be trifled with. Uh, when can't remember somebody somebody hit one of the fantastic four i think maybe it was her brother and it did not go well for them when she noticed that so um it's always been interesting to me that her power is one of those that's usually sort of mocked a little bit but writers because of that have found spectacular ways to make her ridiculously powerful when she wants to be any any other comments about Civil War, or should we move on to the to the Frontline series? So I guess one thing I just... You hadn't really seen much with Goliath before, 
like who he was or anything a whole lot about him but that was kind of shocking for a lot of folks because that's a character who's been around all the way back to the early 60s avengers books bill foster is a a long time avenger and so there was a there was quite a bit of sort of questioning on that also a few people who are like why does it have to be the black avenger who dies there's about 200 avengers but you got to kill one of like the three black ones um but it was interesting that they did decide to take you know to to raise the stakes to that point uh, by doing that and then of course also they sacrificed all the new warriors or most of the new warriors at the beginning because that entire team essentially got blown up in the blast that speedball ends up taking a lot of the blame for so right. yeah no there i i was not really familiar with that character but it did like it there it felt like there was definitely a tonal change almost you you saw the impact that it had on on peter parker and and him then defecting as a result of this and it was mm-hmm. It, it it definitely left an impact. Oh, and by the way, uh, we'll you watched it recently, so and we'll be watching it again. Uh, but Bill Foster is actually played by Lawrence Fishburne in the MCU, so that's oh. his character in the MCU. Okay, he's okay. The, the professor they go and talk to when they're on the run in the middle of Ant Man Two. So that's right, and then that's right. He ends up. There's spoilers involved in talking any more about Bill Foster in Ant-Man 2, so we'll wait until uh, until we get to that point. But anyways, so yeah. Overall, I think this was... It had all the good and bad of a really sprawling Marvel event. The seven issues are really strong, but I do also think that there were times where I'm like, how much has happened? since I turned the last page of book five and the first page of book six, you know, it was not a single story that was completely self-contained. It was obviously, it, it bled out all over the place and we didn't get everything. I, I don't know. I don't know how you would follow something like this. Cause like t- 2006, 2007, when this was happening, you didn't have a Marvel Unlimited where you could go and and just sort of look through and find all these books. Like, how would you follow a story like this? This seems like I get that it's a huge story and I get that it's all encompassing and it has all the all this material and all these things that it's trying to tell you. But like, did could anybody realistically follow all this? They gave you checklists in the books. So you pro- they're not in Marvel Unlimited, probably, but in the actual comic books, there would be checklists where you could go through and see all of the books and the order in which you'd read them if you wanted to follow along with these events. But the problem wasn't so much the reading list. It was that it would cost you like $100 a month to buy all the books necessary to really get the whole story. So... I think that was the the really unsatisfying thing about it and why they seem to have done a much better job in recent years of making sure that the the main story is the main story and the extra stuff is content you can read if you want more 
but don't have to read in order to follow along with the with the event itself. It is interesting though, because like if you didn't read some of the side content, you wouldn't have gotten Civil War Frontline, which ended up actually being, I think, a really nice supplement to that main Civil War story. Yep. Absolutely. I like the fact that what it really seems to have done is it took important elements that they didn't have time to deal with in Civil War and that didn't really have a home anywhere else. Because New Warriors didn't have a book. So where were you going to follow what happens to Speedball after his entire team is, is wiped out? You don't really have a book where you can dedicate it entirely to a couple of reporters wandering around talking about journalistic ethics and stuff like this, you know? Right. And you don't have a place where you can necessarily... I, I will say I think they could have, if they'd wanted actually put the Civil War vignettes at the end of these into the main Civil War books, and it would have been yeah. kind of cool. But overall, uh, and what I'm talking about there is that at the end of each of these, there's actually a almost like a side-by-side -side comparison that takes a, a conflict or a Civil War from historical times or an event from historical times, and then puts it essentially in contrast with events that are being depicted in Civil War in the Marvel Universe. And it's, yeah. some of them are pretty powerful. Some of them are cool. Some of them are just stuff I hadn't really heard that much about or read that much about, so they were kind of cool. Yeah, they had... Um, and then a lot of them had words that were written for the real-life event that seemed oddly poetic to what was happening in the in the uh, MCU civil war that was going on at the same time it was it was exceptionally challenging though to 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 look at and read because it just your your mind is looking at these things and they don't necessarily make sense together but they're there together mm -hmm. on the page and there's just this like kind of this little dividing line between something that was likely happened in real life versus something that was happening in, in the, uh, in the Marvel universe at the, at the time. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think these were interesting books. I, I liked reading them when I originally started thinking we should do these. The idea was that it would give a chance to, hopefully get something that was a little less action and a little bit more that would actually look at some of the themes behind it and the like. And I think it really succeeded in doing that. That these are more of a... Paul Jenkins is a really good writer. He's done a lot of interesting stuff. Um, he did some of the early, like, Sentry in the Void stuff, which was very high concept. Really a good writer for more ideas and, and slower-paced psychological type of, of stories and he did just a great job with these so essentially in in each of these books he is writing three different stories so he's writing the first one that's going to be called embedded and that's about two journalists 
uh, who are coming at sort of this from, from different sides. More specifically, they're coming at it from two different papers, right? So yeah. Ben Urich is coming at this from the Daily Planet, which is very much anti The Daily Spider-Man. Bugle. Oh. The Daily Bugle. He called it the Daily ben, Planet. This is yep. this is Superman's ben, paper. Ben Urich is coming at this specifically from the side of the Daily Bugle, J. Jonah Jameson, We Hate Spider-Man, they're very pro-registration, very pro-sort of law and order, lock them all up type of stuff. And then on the other side, you've got Sally Floyd from The Alternative, which is essentially a a paper that is much more about sort of leftist ideas and more almost like a village voice type of a of a paper. And so they're they're getting different perspectives, they're coming at it from different ways of looking at it. And yet, you know, as it as it comes down to it, they're also talking to each other and kind of bouncing things back and forth too. And Yurik, of course, is a good friend of Peter Parker's and he'd already known that Peter Parker was Spider-Man for quite some time, this sort of thing. So He's got his own sort of opinion on that too, because he's he's got a, an existing relationship with one of the heroes. the The second story is actually a a different one. It's called The Accused, and that is entirely about Speedball and what happens to him after the explosion that starts Civil War, right? Um, yeah, there is, and it's a lot. There is. It's a lot. A lot not that's good. going on. It's not good. He, the, the primary part of it is that he just does not want to admit that it was his fault. He's like, look, I did not explode. Nitro's the one who exploded. That was not something that we would have foreseen or that we did. And the government's idea is, you know, you were the guys who were going in filming your stupid reality show. You're the ones who started this conflict and then the world blew up. So... You're the only one still alive to take the blame, so you're going to take the blame. And then it's prison and getting shot and all sorts of things for him. And the final or the the final story of the three is called Sleeper Cell, which is another one that's about um, a number of the villains and other folks who are just kind of going through. And to be quite frank, I didn't really pay as much attention to that one. I don't know about you. Um... Now, it was, was there's Norman Osborn or some of the other bad guys, and it just didn't interest me as much. Um, but I liked the first two stories, and I really liked the ending ones, where they've got these probably three or four pages, where they just look back on all of these other things. And in fact, one of them is even just, you know, a look at a soldier kind of looking back at past wars. One of them is uh, a family heading for a Japanese internment camp in World War II. Another of them deals with, like, Rome. And they all kind of have these these through-line stories that have a nice hit to them, but then also correspond back to the the MC, or the, the Marvel Universe and the stories going on. So, what was your favorite to those stories, Dwayne? <laughs> so... Uh... The first thing I'm going to tell you is these stories are difficult to read, both from like a timing standpoint, as well as there being kind of multiple stories in these books. I'm not used to mm-hmm. it. It's been a while since we read the older books that had like multiple stories in one. And like 
the art style between these stories is very similar. And so they float into each other what pretty easily. Yep. And a lot of them have, you know, overlapping or, or, you know, situations that occur in one story and then they kind of happen in another story. And so it made it really difficult, at least in the first couple books to understand what was going on. Like it felt like there were bigger gaps. Like you were talking about those gaps between the civil war books. It definitely felt like there were gaps in here. And it's like, there must've been a a lot of stuff that happened since the last book and the last story. But I will tell you that Embedded and the Accused, the 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 reporter's story and Speedball's story hooked me, like really hooked me after about the first two or three books to the point where we went, we were supposed to read one through seven. There's 11 books total of Civil War Frontline, and, and I'm starting to read uh, past seven. I've already started reading past seven. Because I want to know what happens with these two stories. Because, you know, there's Ben Ulrich is getting, has kind of changed his feelings on the Registration Act because he gets attacked by Norman Osborne mm-hmm. as, you know, a member of the Thunderbolts and all this. And, and he realizes that Tony Stark is enlisting villains now to help bring these, the, these uh, resistors to justice. And, and and like everything that Sally Floyd is going through, whether whether it's, you know, kind of secretly meeting with with members of the resistance or getting approached by Nick Fury or or, you know, getting interrogated by S.H.I.E.L.D. It, it just there is there there is a lot here. These these books are long, too. There are 33 pages, each one of them, and they're very text heavy. And so the these books are not as as quick a read as, as some of them, but I found myself just really interested in the stories that they're telling, and and like there is a lot of I think sort of um, context to that larger conflict and the story and the questions. Uh, about freedom and responsibility that were being asked in the main story that really start to hit you when you read uh, these, some of these stories here. I mean, there's not, there's not a lot of action in here. You, I mean, you do see Goliath getting killed in here. You, you, you actually see Iron Man kill uh, a hero by the name of Prodigy. That is like the very first uh, superhero that kill gets killed as a result of, of this registration act being implemented. And was he killed or was he just taken away? He was killed. He was killed. Okay. He, he, he was definitely killed. And, and, and Ben Ulrich says like, that's the moment when things started to go really bad. That that's, that's, that was like the match that really set mm-hmm. this fire off. And, and it, so there is, so there there's just so much there and and i think like i now have a greater appreciation for the civil war story having read this and it's like i i i i i wonder if if like at the time if if i would have read this because it doesn't seem like necessarily like if you're reading the trades and you're like this is what you're gonna get in here 
I don't know if this is something I would have, you know, spent the money on if I, even if I was interested in the Civil War story, but there is, there's just so much meat that it adds to the story as a whole that I, that I just found myself really, really interested in it. I think you're completely correct that a lot of people would not have read this when it first came out because it was, and even a lot of people who maybe read the first issue or two, because it was dry and there was no action. And so unless you're really looking for something like that, which to be quite frank, not a terribly large segment of the comic book population usually is looking for <laughs> some sort of, sure. you know, journalists wandering around kind of looking at the remnants of action. Uh, I don't know how well it's sold, but it has hit me like a ton of bricks. I really enjoyed these books. The And, and it is interesting, I, I think, when you say that, you know, that after the first few had started grabbing you, that's a sign of a really well-written story, is something that yeah. maybe you didn't even know it's what you wanted to read, but then you start going through it and you're like, oh man, this is this is pretty cool. And I think I've been feeling that way as well. I'm I am only through seven, but I I need to go through and, and take a look. I know some of the things that happen near the end of this, because I know what happens to Speedball, but um, I'm interested. Do to not see how tell that goes. me. I I'm a, I, <laughs> I I do need to I do need to finish the I, finish. I, I these. won't say a word, but uh, in any case, so I, yeah, I will tell you two things. I will tell you two things that I that struck me after reading through these I've read the first eight now and it is I remember going into the movie and being like I because I was an Iron Man fan before I went into Civil War and Civil War was kind of the first movie that was not a Iron Man movie or Avengers movie mm -hmm. that I went to and it was actually that movie that switched me from an Iron Man fan to an MCU fan because I loved how this how the, this story, but I remember being totally on Stark's side, being registration, registration. That makes total sense. The thing I could took took away specifically from the Frontline series was I have a huge problem with what Reed Richards and Tony Stark and Hank Pym are doing in these books, like a huge problem with with what they're doing and you know the cloning mm -hmm. of. Of, of superheroes and the lethal uh, justice that they're they're putting out to try and take down uh, people that are resisting. And I would also tell you that I found myself with a great deal of empathy towards Speedball after reading the accused story. It, it is, he is a, there, thinking about where I, my knowledge of Speedball started, which was, the Civil War number one book and being part of this like small group of just sort of irrelevant kind of heroes that are in a reality show to, to be, to being this, you know, poster child for the whole thing and like being called a baby killer. And, and, you know, the, the picture of him being shot, this, the, the still, the, the frame, the panel of him being shot looks a lot to me like Lee Harvey Oswald being shot Absolutely. by Jack Ruby. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't think that was a coincidence by any stretch of the imagination. I think it was definitely supposed to create those sorts of visions, but, but just watching everything that he was going through in prison and trying to work with, 
Jennifer Walters and, and, and all this and trying to explain to himself and like he's writing letters to his mom and and trying to explain himself and and you know everybody hates him and it just it, it was it was a like some of the best movies like the green mile and shawshank redemption and some of those sorts of things those were the sorts of feelings i were having by watching by by reading these books i would agree with that i think that they are a completely different experience from reading sort of the more action side of things where they do get you more into the mind of, you know, like a, a book that's looking at, at prison system and, and taking sort of that view of the prisoner themselves. Speedball also was a weird person to be at the center of all this because he was kind of a joke character in the Marvel universe. Somebody who was created uh, way back in the eighties when they were pumping books out, never really made it as a hero. But then suddenly with this event, he becomes part of this massive sort of conversation within the Marvel Universe. And so, yeah, I I would agree. I think there were a lot of, you know, like all the President's Men type of things. Or it reminds you yeah. of some of, of these shows that, that are more like a, a Ted Grant journalism show or whatever. It's interesting because you also get a different view on all of the sort of the fights and everything because instead of being there and focusing on the heroes, you're focusing on the crowd with these guys in it, sort of watching the heroes being larger than life and everything. You know, like Goliath standing right. way up in the air and stuff. And that, by the way, is another reason why reading Marvels would be good is that Alex Ross does a spectacular job of making that those sorts of, of images. But uh, I'm not feeling as bad as I was. I was thinking that that was a missed opportunity to have you read Marvels, but I think that after going through these and reading more of them myself, I really am glad we read Frontline. I think this is a this is a really solid book. So Yeah, the, this is this is definitely something I would not have picked up without being um Without with it without being encouraged to do so, and and I definitely feel like I uh, got a lot more out of it than than I was expecting. Yep, very cool. So, so what we've learned this week is Hank Pym remains awful, and uh, Tony Stark can be awful. Essentially, everybody though, and and going into the movie next week, one thing that I think always bothered me about the Captain America Civil War movie is that Captain America acts so poorly during that entire movie. He does so many unwise things. And really, when you look at this book, Captain America also does so many really questionable things. You know, he's got, he's got his belief systems but I think that as you get near the end, actually, Sally even starts to ask some of the questions where she's like, you know, it's almost like Captain America is the best and worst of America. Where there are also times where yeah. he just believes he knows what's right and it doesn't matter how many people get hurt, he's going to pursue his personal beliefs. And there's even a point where yeah. he gets in a fight with the Punisher 
and they're sort of like, ah, you know, those two are so different. And somebody else is like, no, same guys, just a different war. And Cap doesn't like to hear that. But there is some truth to the fact that they are both kind of a little bit of obsessive and very strict in their in their way of doing things. It's just a very different way of going about business. All right, well, that was a great discussion, but that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on Civil War, the books, or Civil War, the movie, which we'll be talking about the next week. Send us, you can send those to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com, or you can message us via Twitter. That is at comicsovertime. Dan, I'm really excited to watch Civil War, the movie, next week. Uh, with this additional context, I feel like every time I watch an MCU movie ever, after having read some books to give me some context, I've gone to appreciate them even more. And Civil War already is one of my like top five movies. Yeah, it's a really good movie. But it's, I think for me also, I don't, I don't believe I read as much of the sort of Civil War books, and especially now with Frontline, with a little more context. Hopefully it will kind of inform it a little bit more, make it even better. Uh, also the fact that, you know, we're going to see the first appearance of some old friends in this one as well. So be good to go back and, and see some of that too. So absolutely going to be a lot of fun. Kicking off phase three of the MCU. Until next week, everyone, take care. Have a great one, folks. Thank you.